Professor Dumbledore has granted me permission to start this little dueling club. And with that, welcome to the dueling club, learning one spell at a time. Hello. Welcome to the dueling club. I'm Al. And I'm Jen. And we say hello. Hello. Yeah. And if you hear my phone go off, it's fine. We're just waiting for pizza. Yes. Because pizza is good. Because pizza is good and I'm hungry. Yeah. That's a new thing, by the way, is I go, yeah. I, I don't really like it. That's okay. You don't have to like it. Anyway. <clears throat> what are going to tell you? What have you been up to? Stuff. Okay, that's not how this goes. You actually tell me what the stuff is. So, um, yeah, I, I, brain, mouth words. Yeah, brain needs to do the things that it needs to do. So not much has been going on, really, uh, just hanging out with friends, and I figured what I want to do, like, in terms of, like, money-making. Money, 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 money! Yeah, it's a thought that I've been thinking of for a while, but then the more I thought of it... Sort of like an Inception kind of thing, which is funny because I just watched Inception with my friends online in our Discord that we have. Um, It's like, the idea has grown. And it feels like a good idea. And so I've been looking into, like... So the the whole thing is making an app. Yeah, don't don't say it on here. I'm not talking about details. Uh But I've looked into the process of what it takes to make that kind of app how long it takes, the personnel that you need to make it, um, how much money you need to start up, um, the steps and all that stuff. Like, it is... So, I haven't talked to you too much about the details of like how long, of what steps are. Mm-hmm. But it takes 10 to 20 weeks to make an app of similar magnitude, so it takes that much, that long. You need someone to develop on one platform or the other, either iOS or Android. You have to have someone who helps with the user interface to make it look nice. Mm-hmm. You need someone who is good at user experience to make it from beginning to end. <clears throat> it's like a 10 to 20 weeks yeah. um, in terms of getting a prototype out there. The, the Again, the issue is the money because you need to pay people to do work, obviously. Just a little bit. Yeah. So I looked into how much typically those costs are. That's anywhere from a hundred to a hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's I don't know anyone who has that kind of money. Well, you'd have to get a loan from somewhere that would do it. But the thing, the issue for me is getting that amount of money at a decent interest rate with a long enough term, so I don't basically bankrupt myself for eternity. Well, and unfortunately, we're in a place right now in in the U.S. where interest rates for everything have gone up. Yes. So it's going to be very difficult to find a decent rate. I know. So the thing is, is so it's a six month, roughly, um, getting the app uh, off the ground. And then I have to do advertising, which costs more money. Um, well, te- typically, well, technically, I don't do advertising first. I actually have to find a very specific region to test the app in with a limited amount of users, see how the hardware on the back end works, see how the functionality actually is with a group of people, 
and then once everything is good to go and we launch that's when you have to decide your model which my model is going to be a monthly fee it's a very low monthly fee to get more users involved a low barrier of entry and then see where it goes okay but that, that's why the loan has to be a 24 month term so I, I've done like a bunch of like looking into it and stuff there's a lot that I have to continue to do but yeah it's both exciting and scary because again taking a loan for 150k is terrifying <clears throat> you say this to the person who is currently in the process of buying a house yes but the thing is, is that also terrifying yes Yes. So money, I understand. Money is scary. Yeah, I understand. It's it, we are further along in the process. Everything is going okay so far. We actually have our inspection scheduled for tomorrow. Very nice. Yeah. That is exciting. Maybe. And very scary because what if they find something wrong that the seller doesn't want to fix? What if they find something wrong that stops the FHA loan from going through? Well, and then we have to start all over again. If it's something that isn't FHA loan breaking, but it is something wrong, we can get closing costs paid. Like I understand, I was say, yeah, yeah, we can get money off the the selling price. We can get money towards closing costs. It's not the end of the world as long as it doesn't mess with the FHA loan going through. If it does mess with the FHA loan going through, this place that I've fallen in love with <coughs> and have started decorating in my head will no longer be ours. Well, can't you go with the K loan to, like, use part of it to fix what's wrong? Those, the 203K... I know it's really FHA loan, they're so... It's like... It's like... It's Trying weird. to find a needle. Not in a needle in a haystack. Yeah. A needle in a stack of needles. It's... That's what it's like. The thing is, is that it's really weird because the whole point of that loan is to buy a property that's kind of in the dumps to fix so why are they so stringent where it's like it's messed up but too far or in the wrong way it's like yeah the whole point is to fix it yeah so that i don't understand that but okay I mean. well like we're that we're so close we're so close i can feel it we're yeah. so close we've started going through our stuff and throwing things away you're like a month and a half out like not even yeah I mean. Yes, a month and a half. We're so close. So yeah. close. And it's like, I we just need this inspection to go well. If it's if it's minor stuff, that's fine. If it's minor stuff, we can be like, yo, seller, fix this. Oh, you don't want to fix it? Okay, place, pay some of our closing costs. Yeah. We won't even change the price we pay you. You just need to pay some of our closing costs. True. So, let's hope that goes well. Yes. Because close, you know, nobody tells you until <laughs> you start going about the process of buying a house how, oh, much, stuff, there's there's stuff, how much stuff you have to pay, how much stuff you have to. Okay, so yesterday I went to the, I, I did the adult thing. I was super adult to the point where Friday night when I was talking to my best friend on the phone, I was like, I sound like my mom right now. I was like, oh, what are you doing this weekend? She's like, oh, I have to work. I'm on call and blah, blah, because she's a doctor, whatever. And I was like, okay, cool. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, girl, tomorrow morning, I have to go to the bank and the post office. And then I need to go home because it's going to be 100 degrees. I'm going to do all the stuff I need to do. And then I'm going to go home. And I was like, oh, my God, I sound like my mom. True. 
True. Because I'm an adult, and that's what has to happen. True. So nobody tells you that when you enter into a contract for a house that you have to give what's called an earnest money deposit. You basically, with the contract, have to hand over a certain amount of money. It can be as low as $1,500. It can be higher. It can be a percentage of the price you're going to pay for the house, by the way. <clears throat> and you give it to the seller or the seller's agent, and they hold on to it to show that you're really real about this contract. Uh-huh. Of course, it comes off of the closing costs later, so it's not like it just sits there and it disappears. But nobody tells you that you need to do this. No one. Mm-hmm. Until you start doing it. And, hey, if you're tired of signing your name, guess what? If you aren't now, you will be. <coughs> Luckily, there's electronic signatures, so, you know, click that, here, click see, there. That is why you made a mistake by making your signature very fancy-schmancy and, like, your actual name. Mine's just scribbled. Oh, no. It has... So on on it has devolved a little bit. It's devolved a lot. Okay. My it devolved when I worked at the at the um, mental health facility mm-hmm. because I had to sign in initial things all day. I was like, nope, nope, it was not going to happen. Luckily, like I said, electronic stuff super simple. It's just clicking. Like I pick the signature type that I want it to look like, and then I click. But yeah. Anyway, so I have moments every day, basically, where I'm like, I'm really doing this thing. I'm actually going to have a house. Good. And I haven't. Okay. So we need to, I need to start recording episodes for my podcast again because I stopped. I just, life got hard and I just stopped. So I'm going to start up again and actually do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I want to talk about is what happens when you have people in your life who you can't confide in. Um, because I've had the issue where I have this huge thing that's happening in my life and I want to share it with people. But past experience has taught me that there are certain people that I cannot share things with until it's darn near a done deal. Yes. Um, Because they won't be happy for me. Because they'll pick at it and pick at it until I'm no longer happy about it. And it sucks. It does suck, but you can't let, like other people take away from your happy no which is why in in this example there are certain people in my life who i haven't told things to about you know the move about what's coming up where i am in the process what's happening because i don't want this experience that i'm thoroughly enjoying even though it's scary as all hell um I don't want it tainted. I want to remember this the way that it is, not the way that somebody else has made it to be. No, sir. Like, who would have thought that back in in March, on a night where I randomly found myself looking at a mortgage calculator and real and property in Pennsylvania, that in July I'd be a month and a half away from 
having it. Yeah, so the thing, yeah, I mean, it's exciting. Yeah. And so, like, that's sort of, okay. I want to make this, so it's a two-folder. Okay. About the app that I want to make. So, I want money. Yes, clearly. Because everyone wants Everybody money. does things. I, I even applied for a job at, a new job mm-hmm. at Microsoft proper. Making uh, including making 40 to $70,000 more a year than I make now. When I get that cool baby money up there, Jeez. apparently, or you know, finish the house off in less than thirty years. Um, which we're gonna do anyway, because okay, I'm gonna tell you right now. Even though I understand that interest rates are going up and it's gonna be really hard and it's gonna price people out of the market to be able to buy a home, if you are currently renting and you're in a place where you can apply for an FHA loan, your credit isn't fantastic, but it's okay. Buying is always superior than renting. Please, please, please consider buying. So because our our mortgage, and I want to say this real loud for the people in the back, our mortgage on a three bedroom, two bath house with a full basement that is partially finished, garage, parking area for multiple cars, four plus cars, and over an acre of land is less than what we currently pay for a two-bedroom, one-bath apartment on the third floor with no assigned parking. Yeah, so that's the thing is people... I understand that renting for some people is optimal mm-hmm. because they may want to leave where they are or something or relocate oh, yeah. for whatever reason. Family, friends, work, what have you. But we're in a like the country is in a position where look maybe half an hour away from where you live, an hour away mm-hmm. from where you live, two hours away from where you live, but find that place that you can buy and it be your own at a cheaper price. Yeah. At the end of the day, in in a couple of months, <clears throat> anything that we do, anything that we want to do to our place, we will be able to do and have it exactly the way we want to have it without worrying if our landlord is going to be annoyed at the color <coughs> that we paint the walls or that we move this or uh, or are our downstairs neighbors going to be upset that we moved a chair at 9.45 p.m.? Yeah, exactly. Um I think now is definitely the time to look into buying. Because the thing is, is that buying also has its own benefits. You can later refinance your home. You can, like, push your interest rates down. You can, you know, end up having something with a little nest egg. Like, when you retire, who knows? Maybe you sell the house and get all of your money back and more or maybe less. But you've lived in the house. Yeah. You've had some place to live that is cheaper than where you were before and then you have something to settle on later like yeah and i get it it's not for everyone like you said what if you like to move around a lot it doesn't make sense for you to buy a home what if you don't make enough money to cover a a mortgage and you're barely getting by with rent 
okay, boo-boo, this conversation is not for you. I get it. I understand. Let's revisit it in a couple years when your situation changes. When everything gets a little better, when you find a better job. Right now, I... <coughs> the, the fiance and I make decent money. Yeah, right now we're in the position for it. Right now it makes sense for us. Mm-hmm. Right now is the time that we need to do it before, uh, and our interest rates are locked in. Mm-hmm. Before interest rates go up again. Before we are priced out of the market. Before out we have to renew a lease that is almost definitely going to go up at least another hundred dollars. Yeah. Also, my point that I was trying to make is, so the app for me is, so uh, it's a two-folder where it's, I want to make money, mm-hmm. but I also really like, I wish I had an app like that, right? Yeah. So this is why I'm making it. And the thing is, is like, I don't know, the idea of being able to have this really cool app be mine and being able to sell that service and like give people the opportunity to enjoy it. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. And like I want to be able to use the money from that to buy a house. I mean, so there's, there's, I mentioned it to you. There's two ways that it'll go. It'll explode and become huge, which would be cool. Yes. Or I get bought out by a competitor. And I, that I mentioned to you about the dude who made, uh, uh, it's Scanly from uh, Shark Tank. No, you did not tell me, but. Okay, so basically it was, um. Uh, the ability to scan in-app and it was brought to Shark Tank and none of the sharks bought into it. They didn't think that it was worthwhile or whatever, right? The next year, the guy sold his business and technology, Scanly, for $16 million to Snapchat. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Everybody wants to... Yeah. Everybody wants to be able to have an idea that does really well and continues to do really well either for them or so that they can get rid of it and make money off of it come on let's be honest if we if any of if anybody let's be real if anybody listening was to come up with 16 million dollars tomorrow don't lie to me and tell me you would keep working you would find something else to do obviously like you would you would maybe buy a bunch of rental properties and and have a management company manage it for you and just reap in the the the, the passive income the passive income and travel and whatever it is that you want to do maybe you want to volunteer maybe you want to donate whatever it is that you want to do don't lie to me and tell me that you would still keep working unless you are doing the thing that you love doing so if someone came to me and was like hey, here's $25 million for your idea and your company. I'm selling instantly. I'm buying a bunch of properties. I'm buying myself a house, inviting a couple of friends to live with me. And I'm like, hey, you don't have to pay rent, but you're paying for the, you're paying for like internet and water and electricity and stuff. And, you know, we'll go have these on groceries or whatever, but like give a place for my, for me and some very close people to have a place to live buy mom a house yeah and then make sure that's always paid for so she can just do whatever she wants well you and i have talked about the fact that if either of us won the lottery or whatever that's kind of what we would do anyway True. but at this point in my life 
Like I can't keep living that with that dream of, oh, if when I win the lottery, this, because it's a one in like 44 million chance or, or one in however many million chance of me winning the lottery. So like, let's just start doing the things we want to do now. Yeah, exactly. So I went, I went with hopeful reality versus like impossibility. Yes. I went with um, achievable reality. Yeah. Yeah. So those are kind of similar. Yeah. A little bit of hope. A little bit of hope. Yeah. Like I said, please inspection, please be good. Please inspection, please be good. Yes. So about nerdy stuff, let's go through it very quick. MCU is coming up with a whole bunch of stuff. A ton of movies they've announced up to Phase 6. We're not even done with Phase 4 yet. Um, new Avengers movies. We have no Avengers. I'm confused. Uh, Black Adam. For, and there's always a war yeah, of some sort. Anyway. <laughs> um, Black Adam for DC looks... Phenomenal. Delicious. Yes. Okay. I um, went with phenomenal. You went with delicious. Uh, I hunger okay. for good cinema. Not for food because we just ate pizza. Delicious pizza. It um, was all right. It was too cheesy. It was, it was. There is a okay. I'm not one to say that things can be too cheesy, but this really was because they didn't cut it well, or because it was too cheesy. When they cut it, it was too hot, so it fused back together. So the issue is, is you cannot use a New York style crust, which is paper thin. And then ask for extra cheese because then there is more cheese than there is like crust. You want a good balance. You can't have more of one or the other. It has to be perfectly balanced, and it was not balanced. No. So it was literally like having like cheese with a little bit of a little bit of some some. Which was still delicious. And you asked for pepperoni, and there were approximately five slices of pepperoni in the entire pizza. Yeah. So that was a problem. It was a problem. It was a huge but problem. But it was still good. It was I mean, okay. I still enjoyed it because it was, it was pizza. It, it was upper end okay. Yes. Well, that's oh, okay. We're not going to get into my my issues with pizza. We're just going <laughs> to keep going. But I will say that I will almost never not want pizza. Yeah. Like I'm I will almost always if the option is there for pizza, I'm gonna say yeah. True. Just like for wings too. <coughs> no, I feel that. So update on Harry Potter stuff. Oh yes, December. So, yes, December or November. Holiday season could mean November as well, but typically we're gonna talk about probably middle of December. Yeah. Um, is obviously the release of uh, Hogwarts Legacy. Um, another thing is so you know how they play Quidditch? Yes. They changed the name to Quad Ball. To move away from J.K. Rowling. Which I, I I understand to a certain extent. But I mean, it's based off of something from the book. like, And that's the name of the sport in the book. So it doesn't make sense. So we are part of a... You and I are, are the page is part of a Wizarding World collective um, of, like, other podcasts and whatever. Remember we joined that, like, a couple years ago? I didn't know we were still a thing there. Yeah, we're still in there. Cool. There's another group who is, like, just rowling with the punches, where they talk about Harry, all things Harry Potter. Yes. 
And they're like, we want to change our name, but we rebrand it. We want to change our name because it's problematic to be linked to the author. But rebranding is so hard. And I'm like, you know, it's not like you're espousing her thoughts. And they've had the name since before she started with these and craziness. So that's the thing. So uh, people again are like, "You like Harry Potter? You must be like, like uh, transphobic." And it's like, N- bro, what are you talking about? The series itself is not transphobic. No, the author. Leans She's in got that some issues. One hundred percent. No, no, no. Let's not let's not sugarcoat it. She's a turf. Let's just put it out there. We know it. I know. But However, so the, thing is, the thing is, she is that. But yes. the thing is, is that she was pushed to um, elaborate on her thoughts when her initial thought was not transphobic. Yes, but her initial thought was that trans women don't have the same experiences as cis women, which is true. Yes, but that that's the thing. When you have something that... When you have an opinion that sounds a little bit like, eh, and people ask you to explain further so that they understand... But, but it wasn't like that. They attacked her, and then that's when she went on the defensive and then went way too far and then continued to go further and further. And obviously, but it all wasn't that stuff just, is not okay. It wasn't just that, that, that she said they have different experiences. She also, at the same time, was liking, liking and thumbs upping, whatever the heck it was, um, posts and comments by people who are also turfs. So then that's when people, so that's when people started targeting her, like, hey, this by itself doesn't seem so bad, but when you add it to your behaviors here, it seems like you are also a trans exclusionary, you know, cross whatever it is, um, feminist. Looks like you're also a turf. Oh. So, like, is that what the case is? Because if that's what the case is, we're gonna cancel you so fast, and that's what happened. True. Because she was like, I guess. Well, I'm not. But now that you've called me that, I'm gonna spew all the hatred in the world. And it's like, but then that means you really were. Yeah. Exactly. And you were just waiting for a reason to spew. But the thing is, is that if she had never been pushed, she would have never aired that bit of her stance on, basically, human rights. Yes. Uh, Human rights, like, again, we go into, is the person just as bad if they say they have that opinion, or if they keep it quiet but still have it? It, Yes. I'm sorry. I think certain... that people who no. don't voice their opinion and don't act on, on on prejudices, even if they have them, are as bad as people who voice it and act on them. But that's the thing. If you have prejudices, yes. the majority of the time you are going to act on them, even if it is subconsciously, even if it is in a minimal way, you are going to act on them. It happens. It's you, you can say you're a product of your time and your environment and you didn't think that but if you ha- if you hold that prejudice unless you actively try to not do anything leaning into that prejudice then most likely most likely 
not saying everyone, you're going to, even on a subconscious level, act out on it. Yeah, probably. I don't know. I feel like it's something that blew up that shouldn't have blown up for multiple reasons. Not for her reputation. I don't give a crap about her reputation. Yeah. I care about more of the people who were affected. Because, let's say, someone who's, who's trans loved Harry Potter and now can't even bring themselves to delve into that universe again because of the person who made it. Yeah. Because they do take it that person, which they should. Yes. Because it is a, a basically a personal attack, let's be real. Um, so that's sad. Oh, I agree. I feel like... I... You and I have talked about this on the podcast before. You and I have talked about it at length, you know, off the podcast. My my take on it is (coughs) she created this world that no longer exclusively belonged to her. She became essentially someone out in the public that people you say her name you know who she is um if you have opinions that you know are problematic based on the time and place in which you live you need to stay low-key does that mean that it's not problematic still no but you need to stay low key because you don't want to ruin what you made for other people. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to say, by the way. I don't want my words to be misconstrued. Yeah. She, People who have prejudice in some degree, some capacity in whatever direction, doesn't make it okay. It's just not as bad as vocalizing your prejudice and being, pardon my French, a douche about it on social media. But here's the thing. Obviously you should know that the world changes, people change, and you shouldn't be so um, shoehorned into like one idea of how things are because things change. Yeah, here's the thing though. I would rather know that somebody I admire or esteem or follow or interact with is racist or a bigot or discriminatory in some kind of way, prejudiced in some kind of way, I would rather know than be in the dark. Because if I know, then I can... I know, but if I know, then I can decide what happens. (coughs) If I don't know, then I feel like I'm part of the problem when it comes out. Because then here I am saying, well, she was never that way with me. If that's, you know, if we're friends, she was never that way with me. I can't believe it. And then I'm invalidating other people and their experiences. Yeah. Unknowingly. But I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. <sighs> I like how this became an everything else podcast episode. Not really. We're still talking about Harry Potter. I know, but we haven't even gotten to the chapter yet. Well, the one thing well, besides that we're going we're gonna to do, because it's not super long. It's very uh, emotional, though. <sighs> um, I'm still curious as to what the new CEO of Warner Brothers talked to her about. Because remember a couple of weeks ago, 
there was a report that he went to talk to her to maybe discuss new Harry Potter projects. And we know that, that before he was CEO, Warner Brothers' stance was sort of push her away from Harry Potter stuff so she's a little more hands-off so people don't immediately boycott yeah. anything having to do with Harry Potter. Well, and that's and the thing. putting her back in, like, the driver's seat. I'm not okay with that. I kind of want her a little bit removed. I want her to provide initial input and say, yeah, this is the, this is the direction that I was <coughs> taking them in. And that's it. I want her to proofread where she goes, you know what? That does fit in the lore. That makes sense. And that's it. Just make it. Yeah, just I just don't want her to make any money off of it. She's going to make money no matter what because it's her yeah. creation. But as long as we get the lore straight, I don't care. I don't want her to touch anything else. That's all I want from her. Is to read and go, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, bye. Bye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Season 5, episode 30, 40. Oh, bro, 41. we're like... Hold on, 42. let me see. Let me see. <coughs> Season 5, episode 43. 43. Look at you. Close. You were close. Yes. Harry Potter, Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. Chapter, the law... No, lies. No, you were no, right. No, I was right. The Lost Prophecy. Listen. Yeah. Okay, my brain only works limited capacity. A uh, second to last chapter. So before before we go there, yes. recap real quick. Uh, uh, big the old... only one he ever feared. Powerful duel outside of Department of Mysteries. Or in... Yes. Actually, it was in the lobby. It was in the Department... The Ministry of Magic. Yeah, it was in the lobby. Yes. There was a statue. Between Dumbledore and Tom Riddle. Dumbledore. Yes. Flight of Death. I refuse to call him anything but Tom oh, from now on. Anyway. Or Voldy. Do you know that my customers, the Voldy, the con- the customers' uh, accounts that I deal with, yes. whenever I talk to people, I make them different kinds, uh, different iterations of Voldemort. Nice. So, like, the bad ones, there's uh, McVoldy. Oh, Lord. There's uh, Vold-EY. <clears throat> So it still said Voldy. Yeah, it's it's the way that I make my day a little bit more interesting. Of course. So, <laughs> Just duel. Voldemort exposed to the minister. Like, oh, the, he's back. The minister and the Aurors as well. So yeah, like he's fully back. And and Dumbledore's like, yeah, I've been telling you for like a year now. Well, that's so crazy that I said this. Yeah. <laughs> Slowly. Um, anyway, so, we begin. Well, and Cornelius Fudge wanted to talk to Harry, and Dumbledore's like, no. You can talk to, to me for half an hour, yes. but Harry's going to go back to school. After half an hour, I'm leaving. Okay? Portis. Dumbledore, yes. you can't just do that. Um, yeah, I can. Slowly. Yes. yes. <laughs> anyway, the portkey delivers Harry to Dumbledore's office. <sighs> which has been repaired since Dumbledore's spectacular escape. Harry, deeply grief-stricken over Sirius's death and blaming himself for fail uh, for falling for Voldemort's deception, rejects friendly overtures from the portraits on the walls and tries without success to escape the office. Hold on. 
These are the things that are going on in his head. He's like, it was his fault Sirius had died. It was all his fault. If he, Harry, had not been stupid enough to fall for Voldemort's trick, if he had not been so convinced that what he had seen in his dream was real, if he had only opened his mind to the possibility that Voldemort was, as Hermione had said, banking on Harry's love of playing the hero. It was unbearable. He would not think about it. He could not stand it. There is a terrible hollow inside him. He did not want to feel or examine a dark hole where Sirius had been, where Sirius had vanished. He did not want to have to be alone with that great silent space. He could not stand it. And that's when the the portrait started talking to him. And of course, the one who first starts talking to him is Phineas Nigellus. Yes. <clears throat> okay, so... <clears throat> Dumbledore soon arrives to cheering and applause from the portraits and places Fox tenderly on the ashes under his perch. He tells Harry that Madame Pomfrey is tending to the other students. Oh, no. Tonks was also injured, but she has been taken to St. Mungo's Hospital and will recover. So... <clears throat> Phineas Nigellus is still talking to him, and he says... Dumbledore thinks very highly of you, as I am sure you know, and yes, holds you in great esteem. The guilt filling the whole of Harry's chest like some monstrous, weighty parasite now writhed and squirmed. Harry could not stand this. He could not stand being Harry anymore. He had never felt more trapped inside his own head and body, never wished so intensely that he could be somebody... (coughs) anybody else oh my heart aches for him well this whole thing is sad so here yes i know how you are feeling harry said dumbledore very quietly no you don't said harry and his voice was suddenly loud and strong white hot anger leapt inside him dumbledore knew nothing about his feelings you see dumbledore never try to understand the students they hate it they would much rather be tragically misunderstood wallow in self-pity stew in their own that's enough phineas said dumbledore harry turned his back on dumbledore and stared determinedly out of the opposite window he could see the quidditch stadium in the distance sirius had appeared there once disguised as the shaggy black dog so he could watch harry play He had probably come to see whether Harry was as good as James had been. Harry had never asked him. There is no shame in what you are feeling, Harry, said Dumbledore's voice. On the contrary, the fact that you can feel pain like this is your greatest strength. And then he goes on and says, my greatest strength is it. You haven't got a clue. You don't know. What don't I know? I don't want to talk about how I feel, right? Oh my gosh, my heart is breaking as I as we read this. Uh, yep. Harry, suffering like this proves you are still a man. This pain is part of being human. Then I don't want to be human. Harry roared, and he seized one of the delicate silver instruments from the spindle-like table beside him and flung it across the room. It shattered into a hundred tiny pieces against the wall. Several of the pictures let out yells of anger and fright and... The portrait of Armando Dippet said, Really? I can't. Um, I don't care. Harry yelled at them, 
snatching up a lunoscope and throwing it into the fireplace. I've had enough. I've seen enough. I want out. I want it to end. I don't care anymore. To which I say, I'm sorry. In this situation, when somebody says something like, I don't care anymore, it's not that they don't care anymore. <laughs> they care too it, much. Exactly. It it's filling them up too much. That's... I am an emotional person. I tend to laugh really loud when something funny happens in a book or a movie. I cry when a character is upset. Um, like, I cry with them in the book. I get embarrassed when people do embarrassing things. I get embarrassed for them when they do it in the book or in a movie or in a show to the point where I have to pause or I have to put the book down and walk away and then go back to it. So this, just reading it and, and knowing, it's hurting me so bad for him. Every, and they, Every time. Because the thing is, is like, maybe it's not to the degree that someone you care about passes or whatever. A mistake of yours, we'll say. Even something smaller feels so painful. Because you didn't have to make that mistake, but you did. And where, where else does the blame go? Yeah. Uh, but in that situation, you shouldn't blame anyone. Yeah. Because things just happen. That is how life is. Yeah, but he's he's 15 years old. He isn't yet 16. and He's about to be 16 soon. But he doesn't understand that none of this is his fault. <coughs> so I will continue to read. Okay. You do care, said Dumbledore. He had not flinched or made a single move to stop Harry demolishing his office. His expression was calm, almost detached. You care so much you feel as though you will bleed to death with the pain of it. I don't. Harry screamed so loudly that he felt his throat might tear, and for a second he wanted to rush at Dumbledore and break him too, shatter that calm old face, shake him, hurt him, make him feel some tiny part of the horror inside Harry. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, no. Said Dumbledore still more calmly. You have now lost your mother, your father, and the closest thing to a parent you will have ever known. Of course you care. You don't know how I feel, Harry roared. You, standing there, you. But words were no longer enough. Smashing things was no more help. He wanted to run. He wanted to keep running and never look back. He wanted to be somewhere he could not see the clear blue eyes staring at him that hatefully calm old face he ran to the door seized the doorknob again and wrenched at it wrenched at it my bad wrenching would be throwing up wrenching would be trying sure. to open it up uh we can't read the entire i would read the entire i story. would too okay anyway but 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 dumbledore admits that if he had been more open harry would have realized that dumbledore was luring harry or voldemort that Voldemort was luring Harry into a trap. Hold on a second. I love that Dumbledore says, Harry's like, if you don't let me out, I'm going to break all your stuff. He's like, by all means, continue destroying my <laughs> possessions. I dare say I have too many. True. Um, That's the, oh my gosh. So sometime this week, uh, during one of the team meetings that we have every morning, 
I I made a comment about having a bunch of stuff to do and how all of us do and we need assistance and one of our co-work one of my co-workers in Manila said something and I was like so and so I guess you're volunteering for the position huh and I started like giggling because I was like oh I'm messing with her it's fine and she's like yeah sure if you need my help I'm like well it's no fun if you if you say okay if you, if you offer God if you go along with it, it's no fun. I and was I trying feel like, to voluntarily you, God. Yeah. And, you know, I was joking. I wouldn't have made her do anything anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you took all the fun out of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's what Harry feels when he's like, yeah, by all means, I think I have too many. It's like, well, well no, now but- you're just taking the fun out of this. What the heck, man? On a serious note, it's just <laughs> like... Serious. Oh. oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's more of just like, dude, just do, just do it then. Like, yeah. here, here is an outlet for your rage. Have at it. Which Harry needs right now. And I mean, there is always the re- reparo. <coughs> yes. You can just go reparo, and everything is fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, when Voldemort gave Harry his scar, it left a mental connection between the two. Voldemort discovered this gateway after Mr. Weasley was attacked and then began deliberately intruding into Harry's thoughts. That is why Dumbledore insisted Harry study occlumency and why he remained aloof all year, fearing Voldemort could use the link to gain valuable information about the Order through Harry. Oh, man. So, so, so I... So he, he... Like you said, he goes through it. He actually says... Dumbledore says, it's my fault. And well, like he says... Um, I, Harry says, I don't want to hear anything you've got to say. And Dumbledore says, you will. Because you are not nearly as angry with me as you ought to be. You, if you are to attack me, as I know you are close to doing, I would have, uh, I would, I would like to have thoroughly earned it. And then he says, it's my fault, or should I say almost entirely my fault. Um, the, he... <sighs> He says, you should never have believed for an instant that there was any necessity for you to go to the Department of Mysteries tonight. If I had been open with you, Harry, as I should have been, you would have known a long time ago that Voldemort might try and lure you to the Department of Mysteries. And I'm going a little forward. It says, that blame lies with me and with me alone. Because he says... If if you had if I had been open and honest with you, you wouldn't have gone there. If you hadn't have gone there, Sirius wouldn't have gone there. So it is my fault that Sirius went after you because you went there because I wasn't open with him. And this is also another sad moment where And and that's when yes. Am I to understand, said fin uh said Phineas Digella solely from Harry's left, that my great great grandson the last of the blacks is dead? Yes, Phineas, said Dumbledore. I don't believe it, said Phineas brusquely. Harry turned his head in time to see Phineas marching out of his portrait and knew that he had gone to visit his other painting in Grimwald Place. He would walk, perhaps, from portrait to portrait, calling for Sirius through the house. As much as we have not liked Phineas Nigellus and his paintings up, up until now, 
you, so remember, we've had this discussion where we think that paintings are are not just like an echo. It's like a piece. It's kind of like the the good version of a Horcrux. Yeah. So there's two thought. There's two thoughts that about the paintings in the Harry Potter universe. Mm-hmm. So one is that it's not a part of a soul. It's a reflection of a soul that's captured and put in the painting. And so that's why the paintings have the memories of the person up until they pass. Mm. Because they share memories, they share a personality, because it's literally just an identical twin almost, but placed in the picture. The second thought is that it is sort of like a pseudo-consciousness that is taught to be like the subject, which I don't really buy. I don't buy that either. I like the first one makes because who's going to sit there and teach a painting how to exactly no exactly, and so that's why I think it's definitely the first one. I think it's sort of like because you can't bring back the dead, no, but you can sort of create life that's temporary. If we think about the um, the lily that turned into a fish for Slughorn, wait, that's next. Little spoiler, um, which is fine. It isn't. It's not. Yeah, we didn't say. We already told you guys at the beginning of this season, I think, that we were not, not going to be able to. It yeah, does, it doesn't impact the story anyway, knowing that. But we're also not going to be able to be spoiler free anymore. Yeah. There are certain things that now. I love how we both paused on my example of each other, mm-hmm. and I was just like. Like, well, it's, it's already been said. You can't put that um, genie back in, in the its bottle. It's well, not also, also in this one, um, I like this one. The genie back in the bottle. Go ahead. No. What? No. So on Friday, I was having a conversation with my best friend, mm-hmm. and she said something. And what was it? Oh, I have to ask her. I have to. I just laughed at myself and completely forgot the phrase. You are very weird for that one. Um, And it's it's the next book. It's the lily turning into a fish and then Hermione being able to summon birds on attack. Um, So you can create life to some degree. It's not permanent, obviously, as long as there's magic that can power it. um, It imitates life. and That's what I think is the thing. Is that it, it is imitating the person, but the only way to make that really happen is by making a copy of them. And at the most fundamental level, it has to be like the soul to some degree. So that's, that's my train of thought on how the paintings work in Harry Potter. Um, yeah. I will continue to read. Um, yes. So, so what I was saying, my, she hasn't answered me yet, but I, mis, I misheard my friend. Um, and I thought that she said a phrase that I had never heard before, which is funny because she's the one who always slightly misspeaks like phrases. Mm-hmm. Like instead of saying, you hit the nail on the head, she's like, you smashed the nail right where we're supposed like she doesn't quite get it. And, yeah. and on Friday, I made a joke and she's like, I'm going to start making that a saying. Goodness. I know. Anyway, Sorry. Dumbledore then explains that Creature, being bound magically only to the Black family, had lied to Harry when he tried to contact Sirius, who was actually upstairs tending to Buckbeak, who Creature had harmed to get 
Sirius away from the kitchen, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's not mentioned here, but that happened. After Harry warned Professor Snape in Umbridge's office, Snape checked to see that Sirius was safe. It was only when Harry failed to return from the Forbidden Forest that he had alerted the Order, who then went to the Ministry. Snape wanted Sirius to remain at headquarters, but instead, Sirius ordered a creature to tell, Dumb- to tell Dumbledore what happened, then went to the Ministry himself. Dumbledore seemed slightly abashed at the measures he had been forced to take to get Creature to admit that he'd lied to Harry about Sirius, and that Creature's instructions came from Narcissa Malfoy, the last black family member that Creature respected. Yeah. Well, because... Remember Christmas? He yelled at... Sirius yelled at Creature to get out? Yep. He took that as, as his word. Okay, I'll get out. And I'll go see the only black member that I like that's still alive. Yep. I'll go talk to Narcissa. Yep. Sirius's orders had prevented Creature from betraying the order to Narcissa directly, but he was able to reveal enough information to Narcissa to lead Harry into a trap. Dumbledore defends Snape, saying he had to behave as if he had disbelieved Harry's warning while in Umbridge's presence to protect his position within the order. Dumbledore also discounts Harry's accusation that Snape used Occlumency to open Harry's mind to Voldemort and reiterates his complete faith in Snape's loyalty. He regrets not being able to teach Harry himself, as he had feared Voldemort could access his thoughts and was concerned about the use Voldemort would make uh, would make of knowledge of the connection between Harry and Dumbledore. Okay. Uh, his selection of Snape was made because of Snape's mastery of the skill, but he had underestimated Snape's deep, lingering resentments towards Harry's father. Even though many wizarding families would have uh, offered to adopt the orphaned infant, Harry was placed with the Dursleys for a particular reason. Lily Potter sacrificing herself to save her child created a magical shield that had safeguarded Harry from Voldemort. However, Harry must live in his mother's blood relative's home to maintain the protection until he turns 17. That relative is Aunt Petunia. Convinced Voldemort would return, Dumbledore's priority was to keep Harry safe. The howler Petunia received was Dumbledore's stern reminder that she was obligated to protect Harry. Remember my last Petunia. So I just want to go back for a second and say, you know, during the time that Dumbledore's telling him everything the creature said, He's mad that Creature lied and that Creature even laughed when he told Dumbledore because he was ordered to tell Dumbledore everything that happened. Creature was even laughed, laughing, fits of laughter as he was telling Dumbledore everything that happened. And Harry's like, and and to think Hermione kept telling us to be nice to him. And Dumbledore said, she was quite right. I warned Sirius when we adopted 12 Grimmauld Place as our headquarters that Creature must be treated with kindness and respect. I also told him that Creature could be dangerous to us. I do not think that Sirius took me very seriously. Really? Or that he ever saw Creature as a being with feelings as acute as humans. Which Harry's like, don't you dare blame him. He's like, no, 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 I'm not blaming. Uh, Because... He was saying creatures a lying foul. He deserved whatever. So creature. So Dumbledore says creature is what we, what he has been made by wizards. Harry, 
Yes, he is to be pitied. His existence has been as miserable as your friend Dobby's. He was forced to do Sirius's bidding because Sirius was the last of the family to which he was enslaved. But he felt no true loyalty to him, and whatever Creature's faults, it must be admitted that Sirius did nothing to make Creature's lot easier. Don't talk about Sirius like that. <sighs> it's like... Right now, Harry is not in a place where he can hear it. He just can't. But Dumbledore's right. Sirius never was nice to Creature. No one was ever nice to Creature, except for Hermione. Okay. Sorry, continue. And this is something that people need to take into account what I'm about to read. Uh, talking about the uh, protection he has while in, his, while in the presence of his mother's blood. Mm-hmm. She doesn't love me, said Harry at once. She doesn't give a damn, but she took you. Dumbledore cut across him. She may have taken you grudgingly, furiously, unwillingly, bitterly, yet she still took you. And in doing so, she sealed the charm I placed upon you. Your mother's sacrifice made the bond of blood the strongest shield I could give you. And Harry says, I still don't... While you can still call home the place where your mother's blood dwells, there you cannot be touched or harmed by Voldemort. He shed her blood, but it lives on in you and her sister. Her blood beca- uh, became your refuge. You need return there only once a year, but as long as you can still call it home, there he cannot hurt you. Your aunt knows this. I explained what I had done in the letter I left with you on her doorstep. She knows that allowing you homeroom may well have kept you alive for the past 15 years. And Harry's like, wait, wait a minute. About the howler, yes. You sent that howler? You told her to remember? It was your voice. (sighs) Really, don't, really, Harry? Like, you couldn't put two and two together and recognize that that was Dumbledore's voice? Okay. Alright, we're gonna, we're gonna keep it moving. Five years ago, then, continued Dumbledore, as though he had not passed, um, paused in his story, rather. You arrived, you arrived at Hogwarts, neither as happy nor as well-nourished as I would have liked, perhaps, yet alive and healthy. You were not a pampered little prince, but as normal a boy as I could have hoped under the circumstances. Thus far, my plan was working well. And then, well... You will remember the events of your first year at Hogwarts quite as clearly as I do. You rose magnificently to the challenge that faced you, and sooner, much sooner than I had anticipated, you found yourself face to face with Voldemort. Just wait a second. You, so he already anticipates that Harry's going to meet face to face with Voldemort? That's what he just told him. I don't think Harry realizes this because he's distraught with grief at the moment, but he literally just said, much sooner than I anticipated... Yeah, because you never thought that Voldemort really died. I know. But I'm just saying, it's one of those things that, contextually, Harry should be picking up on. But he can't, because he's overwhelmed with grief at the moment. Well, you have to you have to think that Voldemort is, like... The thing, the thing that he is most known for, which people I don't think associate because they're like, oh, he's all-powerful and murderous and evil, is his ego. Which Dumbledore expounds on, where it's just like, Voldemort has to feel special. 
That's why he gave up the name Tom. That's why he declared himself the heir of, of Slytherin. Why he... Which he this, was. Which he was. And this and this and that is because his ego has to be inflated. And so the fact that he lost to a child means that that child will forever be targeted by him. Oh, yeah. So that's one of those things that Dumbledore... It's sort of in between the lines and not at the same time. But Dumbledore knows that Voldemort is going to track down Harry no matter what until he can kill Harry himself. Yeah. Which is what he says in the graveyard. It's like, I'm going to kill you and no one will ever doubt me again. Yes. So it's one of those like big ego plays by a man-child, basically. Yeah, but it's also Dumbledore admitting that he knows that this is going to happen. Which... The thing is, is that it's not a surprise. Harry is definitely also aware of this, that he is in the crosshairs of Voldemort from the word go, basically. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, where, where was I? So you were at, you rose magnificently to the challenge that faced you, and sooner, much sooner than I had anticipated, you found yourself face-to-face oh, with Voldemort. Uh, you survived again. You did more. You delayed his return to full power and strength. You fought a man's fight. I was <coughs> emotional for a sec. Prouder of you than I can say. Yet there was a flaw in this wonderful plan of mine, said Dumbledore. An, An obvious, obvious flaw. flaw that I knew, even then, might be the undoing of it all. And yet, knowing how important it was that my plan should succeed, I told myself um, that I would not permit this flaw to ruin it. I alone could prevent this, so I alone must be strong. And here was my first test. As you lay in the hospital wing, weak from your struggle with Voldemort. I don't understand what you're saying, said Harry. Don't you remember asking me, as you lay in the hospital wing, why Voldemort had tried to kill you when you were a baby? Ought I have told you then? Harry stared into the blue eyes and said nothing, but his heart was racing again. You do not see the flaw in the plan yet? No, perhaps not. Well, as you know, I decided not to answer you. Eleven, I told myself was much too young to know. I had never intended to tell you when you were eleven. The knowledge would be too much at such a young age. I should have recognized the danger signs then. I should have asked myself why I did not feel more disturbed that you had already asked me the question to which I knew, one day I must give a terrible answer. I should have recognized that I was too happy to think I did not have to do it on that particular day. You were too young, much too young. And so we entered your second year at Hogwarts. And once again, you met challenges even grown wizards have never faced. Once again, you acquitted yourself beyond my my wildest dreams. You did not ask me again, however, why Voldemort had left the mark upon you. We discussed your scar. Oh, yes. We came very, very close to the subject. Why did I not tell you everything? Well, well, it seemed to me that 12 was, after all, hardly better than 11 to receive such information. I allowed you to leave my presence, bloodstained, exhausted, and ex- but exhilarated. And if I felt a twinge of unease that I ought perhaps have told you then, it was swiftly silenced. You were still so young, you see, and I could not find it in me to spoil that night of triumph. Do you see, Harry? Do you see the flaw in my br- brilliant plan now? I had fallen into the trap I had foreseen that I had told myself I could avoid. That I must avoid. I don't... I care about you too much, said Dumbledore simply. I cared more for your happiness than your knowing the truth. 
more for your peace of mind than my plan, more for your life than the lives that might be lost in the, if the plan failed. In other words, I acted exactly as Voldemort expects we fools who love to act. Oh, good grief. Oh, goodness. I need a moment because that was, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a defense? I defy anyone who has watched you as I have, and I have watched you more closely than you can have imagined, not to want to save you more pain than you have uh, that you had already suffered. What did I care if numbers of nameless and faceless people and creatures were slaughtered in the vague future, if in the here and now you were alive and well and happy? I never dreamed that I would have such a person on my hands. So, we... The fiancé and I have discussed this, and you and I have discussed it as well, separately. If you guys have watched the Fantastic Beasts movies thus far, you you realize that um, Grindelwald uses an excuse... Or a, a rallying cry that is so often used with dictators and authoritarian um, leadership and people who want to, you know, invoke genocide, whatever, um, for the greater good. It's a passionate but yet dispassionate cry at the same time because it's passionate per your ideas but it's dispassionate because it doesn't actually take anybody into consideration you're willing to do whatever needs to happen for the greater good so it doesn't take into account who you care about or what you care about as long as what you do benefits the majority And this is where we see that Dumbledore has, even if at one time he may have been somebody who espoused that for the greater good ideal, at this point, it's long gone. Yeah. Um, it is It is when it comes to Harry. Yeah. Um, I, something I've never quite understood uh-huh. is why... Dumbledore feels like he owes Harry so much and or why he cares so much about Harry. Like, yes. Harry was Harry's parents were close to Dumbledore in a roundabout way. They were part of or- the Order of the Phoenix. Dumbledore headed that. Um, they knew of each other, obviously. Um, their protection were in his hands in to some capacity. They put their faith in the wrong person they made uh, Peter Pettigrew their secret keeper for the Fidelius charm which ended up being their downfall I think that I think he felt I think he felt somewhat responsible for their deaths because he was in possession of the cloak when Voldemort came after them which wouldn't have made a difference yes but when you think that you have the one thing in your possession that might have made a difference, then you start blaming yourself. So then you have to start doing whatever you can to fix the situation. Well, the only reason why it wouldn't have made a difference is because, um, again, not too much of a spoiler. It's just what happened that night. But when Voldemort got to Godric's Hollow 
and went to Lily and James's house, when James knew that Voldemort was coming inside to kill them, he didn't even have his wand. I know, but if they had gotten upstairs, if Lily and baby Harry had gotten upstairs, she could have put them in a closet. That, like, she could have hid them in the closet somewhere, covered by the cloak. And Voldemort would have been none the wiser. And this whole series would have been one book instead of seven. True. Yeah, maybe. You know, so Dumbledore has always felt guilty because he just had it out of curiosity, not because he actually needed it. Well, so, I mean, I say that I don't quite understand, but I, I, I think there's this part of me that goes, well... And they were so young. And he recognizes that Harry doesn't have parents. And so he may see himself as sort of like a father figure, but from afar. Mm-hmm. One that, you know, lets their kids sort of experience life and will guide them in the right direction when they have to be guided. As opposed to, you know, Harry, come to my office, and then going, how was your first day of school? He's not that kind of parent. But I think he wants to be sort of that standing because... He knows what it's like to lose his parents early on because he lost his dad when he was a young teen. And his mom died when he was a teen. As soon as he basically graduated. Yeah. No, shortly before that, actually. Shortly before. And then he lost his sister shortly after. Yeah. So, like, he's had it rough and he knows. And in essence, also lost his brother at the same time. True. So he knows what it's like to not have a family, I suppose. Yeah. And so he wanted to be that for Harry, but again, more hands-off because he didn't want to have to burden Harry with his potential destiny that he foresaw for him. And he keeps going on in the chapter with, uh, I saw you in your third year. I saw you in your fourth year. Like, I want to read it because it's important. And he says, we entered your third year. I watched from afar as you struggled to repel Dementors. As you found Sirius, learned what he was, and rescued him. Was I to tell you then, at the moment when you had triumphantly snatched your godfather from the jaws of the ministry? But now, at the age of 13, my excuses were running out. Young you might be, but you had proved you were exceptional. My conscience was uneasy, Harry. I knew the time must come soon. But you came out of the maze last year, having watched Cedric Degree die, having escaped death so narrowly yourself. And I did not tell you, though I knew. Now Voldemort had returned, I must do it soon. And now, tonight, I know you have long been ready for the knowledge I have kept from you for so long. Because you have proved that I should have placed the burden upon you before this. My only defense is this. I have watched you struggling under more burdens than any student who has ever passed through this school, and I could not bring myself to add another, the greatest one of all. Wow, he just said he saw him suffer the most. He saw Remus Lupin in there, who was a werewolf, dealing with transforming every month, and the fact that there were prejudices against his kind, essentially, and he's saying, dang, you had it way worse than everybody else, including that guy. True. Yeah. <coughs> and Harry says, I, I still don't understand. 
Voldemort tried to kill you when you were a child because of a prophecy made shortly before your birth. He knew the prophecy had been made, though he did not know its full contents. He set out to kill you when you were still a baby, believing he was fulfilling the terms of the prophecy. He discovered, to his cost, that he was mistaken, when the curse intended to kill you backfired. And so, since his return to his body, and particularly since your extraordinary escape from him last year, he has been determined to hear the prophecy in its entirety. This is the weapon he has been seeking to, uh, so assiduously during this. Uh, I like during, that word, assiduously. Return, right? The knowledge of how to destroy you. And mind you, this is still the middle of the night. So, uh-huh. like, the sun is just rising now. Mm-hmm. After Harry done smashed up his entire office. Dumbledore's entire office and Dumbledore's like yeah my my bad yeah I have too much stuff go ahead smash it up and then let me tell you how all of this is my fault that's where we're at and then Harry says you know um the prophecy smashed I was pulling Neville up those benches in the the room where the archway was and I ripped his robes and it fell and Dumbledore says that was that was just a copy. Yeah, you know that the was person, just the record. Yes, the person who, 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 who the prophecy was told to would be able to repeat it, and then well, who heard it? Well, I did. Surprise! On a cold, wet night, sixteen years ago, in yes. a room above the bar at the Hogshead Inn, I had gone there to see an applicant for the post of divination teacher. Bling bling. Hello, divination teacher. Um, though it was against my inclination to allow the subject of divination to continue at all. The so, the one thing that he is also leaving out is that someone was spying on this. Oh, we're, we're getting there. Or it may not say it here. It doesn't say it here. Okay. Well, because I want to finish this. The applicant, however, was the great-great-granddaughter of a very famous, very gifted seer. And I thought it common politeness to meet her. I was disappointed. It seemed to me that she had not a trace of the gift herself. I told her courteously, I hope, that I did not think she would be suitable for the post. I turned to leave. And the prophecy is, The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches, born to those who have thrice defied him, born as the seven month dies, and the Dark Lord will mark him as his equal, but he will have power the Dark Lord knows not, and either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord will be born as the seven month dies. Um. So Harry. So basically, wh- <sighs> we find this out because it was it was in the pensive and we see it happen we see Sybil Trelawney speak it not in her usual voice but in a harsh tone Harry has only heard her use once before and then after she gives the prophecy she slowly revolves back down into the silver mass below and vanishes (sighs) Harry is I guess sort of not confused but sort of dumbstruck by this information and Dumbledore says you know uh, it means that the person who uh, would have the chance of conquering the Dark Lord was 
Uh, Forgood was born at the end of July, nearly 16 years ago. The boy would have been born to parents who had defied Dumb uh, Voldemort three times. And Harry's like, it means me. And this is where Dumbledore tells him, I mean, the odd thing is, Harry, he said softly, that it may not ha have meant you at all. Sybil's prophecy could have applied to two wizard boys, both born at the end of July that year, both of whom had parents in the Order of the Phoenix, both sets of parents having narrowly escaped Voldemort three times. One, of course, was you. The other was Neville Longbottom. Dun, dun, dun! This is why I've been saying all along that Neville is, number one, severely underrated. Yes. Number two overpowered but nobody knows because the wand he's been using thus far is not a wand that chose him it was his dad's wand so he has not been living up to his fullest potential because he doesn't have the appropriate tools at hand come on everybody let's get on the Neville Longbottom train anyway um I apologize it's okay so the big thing is is that Harry is confused. If the prophecy could mean him or Neville, then surely Neville would have a bigger role to play in this. And like, how could anyone be sure that it was Harry? Why was it? Why was the prophecy labeled as Harry Potter? And the reason why is because Voldemort is the one who made the prophecy become reality. He is the one who attacked Harry and marked him as his equal with the lightning bolt scar. Yes. So there is no doubt that the person that the prophecy is now referring to is 100% Harry. Yeah, they actually said that when, before the attack, it wasn't labeled with his name. After Voldemort attacked his, you know, Harry's parents and killed him and almost killed Harry, then it was updated to have Harry's name. Yep. And then Dumbledore also finds that curiously interesting that uh, Voldemort would attack Harry... When Harry is not a pureblood, which is what he is, you know, known his stance is that, you know, being a pureblood is the only thing that matters. But instead of the pureblood, which is Neville Longbottom, he picked the half-blood, which is Harry. Because the half-blood was like himself. Yes. He saw himself in you before he had ever seen you. And in marking you with that scar... He did not kill you as he intended, but gave you powers and a future which have fitted you to escape him not once, but four times so far. Something that neither your parents nor Neville's parents ever achieved. True. I feel like I want to drop the mic for Harry right now, but the fiance bought me the mic and it's a good mic and I don't want to have to search for anyone. I can go and pretend it's a mic drop. Okay. Then. Anyway, okay. Uh, and this is where Harry continues with his thoughts about the prophecy, and he comes to the um, uh, neither can live while the other survives, and he asks Dumbledore, "Does that mean that one of us has to kill the other in the end?" And Dumbledore says, "Yes." He actually does say there was there was somebody listening in in here. He says that that 
That might indeed have been the more practical course, except that Voldemort's information about the prophecy was incomplete. The Hogshead Inn, which Sybil chose for its cheapness, has long attracted, shall we say, a more interesting clientele than the three broomsticks. As you and your friends found out, to your cost, and I to mine that night, it is a place where it is never safe to assume you are not being overheard. Of course, I had not dreamed when I set out to meet Sybil Trelawney that I would hear anything worth overhearing. My, our one stroke of good fortune was that the eavesdropper was detected only a short way into the prophecy and thrown from the building. Mm-hmm. So there was somebody listening in. Yes. I'm going to read the last little bit. Okay. Um, I feel I owe you another explanation, Harry said Dumbledore hesitantly. You may perhaps have wondered why I never chose you as a prefect. I must confess that I rather thought you had enough responsibility to be going on with. Harry looked up at him and saw a tear trickling down Dumbledore's face into his long silver beard. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is is that when, when, if we remember back in the beginning of the book when Harry found out that he wasn't a prefect it hurt him a lot. And so he... Dumbledore knew that that would bother Harry. But... And still apologized for it. Yes. And... Uh, there's there's a, there's a paragraph that gets me every time we read it. And it's right before what you read. And it's a perfect summation of what it's like to be grieving... Whether it's, you know, loss of a loved one or loss of love in general or whatever. It says, for a long time, neither of them spoke. Somewhere far beyond the office walls, Harry could hear the sound of voices. Students heading down to the great hall for an early breakfast, perhaps. It seemed impossible that there could be people in the world who still desired food, who laughed, who neither knew nor cared that Sirius Black was gone forever. Sirius seemed a million miles away already, even if a part of Harry still believed that if he had only pulled back the veil, he would have found Sirius looking back at him, greeting him, perhaps with a laugh like a bark. Ow. Oh, this chapter is so hard. So, so hard. Like, I can't. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. I'm yep. done. I can't. I, there's too many emotions. That's it. We're done with this chapter. Scene. Bye, everyone. Bye. That was hard. Reading is hard. <laughs>